0: Tara Barbrick with Space Foundation, and you're listening to the Space For You podcast. Space For You is designed to tell the stories of the people who make space exploration today more accessible to all. Today we are joined by Daniel Lockney. Daniel Lockney is the Technology Transfer Program Executive at NASA Headquarters in Washington, D.C., responsible for agency level management of NASA intellectual property and the transfer of NASA technology to the public. Lockney oversees policy, strategy, resources, and direction for the agency's technology commercialization efforts. NASA has had a long history of finding new innovative uses for its space and aeronautics technologies. And Lockney is the agency's leading authority on these technologies and their practical terrestrial applications. Lockney studied American literature at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County and creative writing at John Hopkins University. He started his NASA career as a contractor in 2004, converting to civil service in 2010. He lives in University Park, Maryland, with his wife and two space pups, Astro and Cosmo. Welcome, Dan. Hey, how are you? I'm doing pretty good today. I'm excited that we get some time to to chat and me to pick your brain about a few things.
1: Yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for having me.
0: It's my pleasure. So, I, I have to admit, I'm a little intrigued by the fact that you have multiple writing degrees, and now you have a leadership position at nasa so i'd love to hear a little bit about kind of that transition from writing to to science
1: oh yeah i don't know if i could explain it i couldn't have planned this and i <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense to me um I, I i i get asked about this a lot and i think the answer is i just kept pursuing whatever i found interesting um so if if i liked something if it was Engaging to me, if I was interested in this, continuously curious about it, then I kept moving that direction. And uh, I look back, and like, huh? So that happened. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, here I am, kind of unexpected. But it was also, I guess, I've been doing this uh, 17 years now, um, and it was not a not an overnight process.
0: Right. So did you teach writing? Did I understand I that did. correctly? Yeah, I was a
1: high school teacher for a while, and I, I taught technical writing at a local college in Baltimore. And then, so ultimately, I, I went into college, didn't really know what I wanted to do, and was fascinated by stories and storytelling. I've always been an avid reader, and I, I just liked, the, I liked stories. And I thought i will be a writer. But I, I remember my folks flipping through the job ads back when we had, like, physical newspapers, <laughs> which dates me a little bit. And i like, yeah, there's nothing here in the W's for writer. <laughs> uh, do you have a backup plan? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I didn't. Um, so I got out of school. I didn't really know what to write. So I went and talk for a while, and you know, I, I had a bunch of different ideas. I've always been interested in nutrition and cooking too. Um, so I considered writing cookbooks, but I didn't really know enough about cooking. <laughs> so I thought about <laughs> going to cooking school, and I realized, you know, I was actually enrolled in, in culinary school. I hadn't started, and as a last ditch effort, I said, you know, let me, let me. If this, I, I pictured it would be fun and engaging to learn, you know, the fundamental fundamentals of cooking, but I also pictured myself, you know, being wet in a kitchen and working like weekends and holidays. Yes. Um, as I learned the craft, uh, I didn't think I would just transition immediately to writing cookbooks. So I, at last itch effort, I applied to a, a job application that was written so poorly, and it was the NASA center for aerospace information scientific and technical information program and it was literally written all as as acronyms as all one word so it's n-a-s-a-f-t-i n-a-s-a-c-a-s-i-f-t-i-p and it was nonsense and the whole ad was written in such a way that it was really made no sense i think that looks pretty cool maybe that's better than cooking (laughs) <laughs> so I applied for it, and I showed up, I got to the door, and there's that blue meatball on the door, like NASA, NASA. I was like, "What? <laughs> You're like the and stuff? You gotta be kidding me!" Um, so yeah, I was not a space buff. I was not an engineer. I, I walked in, and they started describing what they're doing, and, and I was sold. It was kind of a last ditch. Maybe this is an interesting job, but they started describing. You know how there's a bunch of technology that we have in our everyday lives due to space exploration and the nation's investment in aerospace research. And I was like, yeah, everyone knows that. We record that here. We hunt that down. We find it. We tell that story so the public knows that its it's investment in NASA is worth the effort. And there's all these cool products and services as a result of this investment. That's pretty cool. And I started researching it, looking into it, uh, there's actually really something here. And the beauty of it is, I'd mentioned that I like stories, and mm-hmm. the tech transfer and, you know, spinoff process, this process by which NASA makes its technology available to the public, is kind of wonderful and cyclical, kind of like law and order, which oh. we, we all know and love. There's like 10,000 law and orders. And there's also like thousands of NASA spin-offs. And the, the process is, you know, NASA gets assigned a mission, told go do this impossible thing, And it's NASA. It's like, yeah, we'll figure it out. In the process of doing that work, you know, you can't go buy the components at Target. You can't just, like, run out to Home Depot and, like, give me a James Webb Space Telescope. And, (laughs) you know, they have one on the shelf. (laughs) There's some process involved. You have to make this thing. And there's individual technologies, inventions and components that that need to be come up with along the way. Like I said, kind of like Law and Order, NASA gets a mission, like, dun and then. They run into a challenge. The engineers and they're like, "We we've researched the state of the art. We've looked around for a solution, and there isn't anything." And you know, those have a commercial brain. Um, so then, the NASA in- engineers and inventors, brilliant, really smart, fun people, develop a new solution to whatever problem this is. So then we have a new technology that does something, some sort of need that we had. So then, dong dong, uh, it's the order sound. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it, comes, <laughs> it comes to the NASA Tech Transfer Program, which, which, which is now my responsibility, the, the program executive for this activity. So all 10 field centers, we have a NASA office that reviews all of the inventions that the inventors come up with. And we have about 1,600, 1,800 per year. And we look at them and see, what else can we make from this? Who else can use it? Are there obvious industry applications? And then if there are applications, what's the best way to get it out to the public? Most often, these are non-aerospace uses. We figure out things like, oh, yeah, the shipping industry can use this, or this would work in a hospital, or this would be great in sneakers, or, or who knows what it's going to be. That's kind of fun of it. So then we endeavor to get that out to the public in whatever way we, we determine is best. And sometimes it's publishing. Sometimes it's patent licensing. Um, sometimes we invite people in and show it to them, kind of a know-how and show-how kind of, of transfer. If it's software, we'll let people download it. So we work on ways to get it out to the public. And then (laughs) one more time, Um, (laughs) the the public, a a company will take it, invest in it, manufacture it, market it, and sell it. And all of a sudden, like this weird gizmo gadget that some NASA engineer sitting in a a lab someplace said, I got an idea. This will solve my mission, Uh, one of my mission needs. You know, that technology is all of a sudden you you can go to Target and pick it up off the shelf. There's an unlimited number of these stories to always hunt down, find and tell, and NASA's continuously investing in new technologies. So it's this never-ending um, fountain of fantastic content. So that's what got me interested originally. And then as I kept working within the program, it was a little bit like the Crowdy Kids. Uh, like kind of the like like why am I waxing all these cars and all of a sudden like you know karate um, <laughs> so, I think that's how the movie went right a yeah, little, that's how I remember it too
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: because um, so that was a little bit like my training in tech transfer I I wrote you know a couple hundred stories did thousands of interviews in the process of of you know compiling these success stories and writing the the uh, the annual spinoff report for NASA. Um, But after a few years, all of a sudden I knew this stuff and it was kind of unexpected to me too. I said, now I'm just the writer. I'm just cataloging. I'm I'm your scribe. But it turns out that I had a kind of bizarre depth of content knowledge and and an overall view uh, that that gave me some insights into what was successful and what the program needed to continue doing and and invest in in order to ensure that there's more of that successful commercialization. Uh, So then eventually I, Ended up having getting the opportunity to implement some of those ideas and run the program itself. That's a long-winded answer. I'm so sorry. I'll try to be a little shorter.
0: No, but I mean that's fascinating to me because it it really is your love of learning and your love of stories that just kind of uh, allowed you to keep moving on that pathway. So then, you know, when you first started. It wasn't the love of science or the the tech transfer that really kind of drew you to it.
1: Yeah, so it's it's this kind of wonderful field. So I've I've talked to the tech transfer offices at you know all the other federal laboratories, the NASA labs, universities, that cetera, have uh, tech transfer functions, um, and largely it's this kind of wonderful gang of misfits who end up in tech transfer who fall in love with it. And, you know, very few people actually go to school to study tech transfer. I don't even know if you can. And if you can, I didn't. (laughs) You don't need to. Um, But we end up, people pass through, and we inherit engineers, entrepreneurs, and inventors, and people kind of come into our orbit, realize, like I did, that it's fun here and then stay. Um, and that's kind of true all over the place. And then it's kind of captivating. Once you start learning the stories and learning the process, it turns out there's a lot of meat here and there's, the work is never done. So we find that you know, the process of working with companies in order to get them to be successful selling your technologies and the stories of how that happens are compelling to all sorts of folks. Like We get bipartisan support, which is you know, strange and unusual these days. And we also get, you know, every administrator comes through NASA, ends up realizing that tech transfer and, the, and this type of work ends up being a real evergreen for the agency. That it's this, you know, people always expect we're doing it. and They're happy to know we're doing it really well. And it's a, it's a, it's a neat experience. It's a neat, it's a neat career. But I, I've yet to meet anyone yet who says, I'm going to go be a tech transfer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we,
1: end up, we end up with folks who, who kind of end up here. And, and, and when they get here, they realize it's a lot of fun.
0: Well, and people love good stories. To me, you're telling the best stories of, of how NASA brings these great things to us right here on Earth. It's not
1: just in space. We're helping, you know, create new startup companies. We see companies grow. We see companies that we work with rent out a new office space, hire new people. And, and it's kind of fun to see products emerge like, an act, like in a box. Like, that's a real thing. You get to see the results of your work and you get to see that it's affecting people and changing lives. I don't know that every job has that same level of visible impact. I think there are are few that are that rewarding where you get to see the results of your work so um, tangibly and, and at such scale.
0: Agreed. Is there one that kind of sticks there? One or two, I should say, that stick out in your mind of, oh, yeah, this one, either people would have no idea that it started in space or... It's just so amazing. You can't help but talk about it.
1: Uh, it's a little tough. It's like asking a mother to you know, pick her favorite child. Um, <laughs> but like in my mom's case, that's easy. I, I'm uh, Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so one that I always bring out is, uh, and people don't realize it, but it's in their pocket right now or, or it's in their hand even, uh, but we invented the camera phone. Uh, we actually invented the chip that is in now, you know, almost all digital cameras today. It's the CMOS camera on a chip, and I I believe that it's in the Space Foundation Space Technology Hall of Fame, and the inventor Eric Fossum, is in the National Inventors Hall of Fame. So this is all legit. Like there's traceable intellectual property lineage. I'm not just making stuff up. Y'all can Google this one. It's true. Yeah. Um, it's not a myth. Yeah. So then the the the, the um, the loose story around it, and this isn't, you know, this is this is the shorthand version of it, is we developed this lightweight, high-resolution camera for satellite applications. The thinking is, you know, you can't run a power cord up into space, and you want good pictures coming back to you, and you need to be lightweight so you can launch it. So we developed this camera on a chip, a microchip, that could also serve as a camera. And we didn't know what to do with it. You know, we we kind of, thought, like maybe some of the three-letter agencies, the spy organizations would be interested,
0: uh-huh. that, you know, they
1: could they could use it for taking pictures of evidence and secret uh-huh. dossiers that they pull uh-huh. out of file uh, cabinets.
0: Sunglasses.
1: It, it, uh, it turned out that's a very small market. Um, <laughs> and uh, they, were, they were really only interested in it, and we not really don't <laughs> know how to approach that. Like, where do you go? Radio Shack. Um, so that, that ended yeah. up not not getting off the ground. We were approached by Nokia, the phone company, And I said, we're thinking about putting a camera in a cell phone. And we thought that was the funniest thing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Hey, get a load of this. Um, Are you going to take a picture of your ear? Nuts. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So so we said, who who would use this? Why would anyone want this thing? Uh, And they said, the answer is quite simple. Japanese teenage girl. We said, wait, what? And he said, "Okay, so in Japan, there's this thing called kawaii culture, uh, this kind of obsession with cuteness. And if you've ever been to Japan, you know even their traffic cones are adorable; they look like little frogs and stuff. And it's just oh. like Hello Kitty. It's this, yes. this kind of phenomenon. They're like, oh, it's adorable. And right, so he said, you know, Japanese dance girls trade trinkets and it's like little erasers and things, and they 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 love little cute stuff. So we're thinking." that you could use your cell phone to take pictures of stuff and create, you know, virtual trading cards of these cute little things. So let's say you, you, you encounter a, an adorable cupcake, you take a picture of it and send it to your friend, and this will be huge. So it turns out they were right. <laughs> very <laughs> right. Very right. And so the lesson there is like, you know, you, you don't, don't just dismiss an idea no matter how crazy it sounds. And then the other lesson is, like, deep down inside, we're, we're kind of all Japanese teenage girls. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know a single person, you know, myself included, as much as i like to deny it, who hasn't taken a picture of something cute. And, and you've seen, you know, whole social media platforms you know, grow up around this concept of snapping a picture and sharing stuff with folks. So this is where I'm stretching a little bit. I mentioned you, you go Google it, look it up. It, now you can see I'm kind of taking credit for all of social media
0: you allowed trends to happen and made it possible
1: definitely the camera definitely the camera
0: well yeah I can see how that might be one of your your favorite tech transfer children so'
1: it's fun because you have one I'm using well I'm not using my camera right now but I've got my phone in my pocket and yeah so I
0: I don't think anyone can imagine now not having the phone camera. Yeah. You know, well, one of the
1: I, questions I get asked is I'm, I'm doing your job now too. Oh, yeah, uh,
0: yep.
1: <laughs> you make sure to ask me this. And one of the questions we get asked all the time is, well, wouldn't if someone else have come up with it anyways. So like, when not we got there anyways? Like we got this camera and our phone now and sure it was NASA, but somebody would have come up with that. And the closest answer that I've ever felt comfortable with is, yeah, maybe we didn't need the rigors and space exploration to come up with this. And, you know, we invented a, you know, another space foundation, Space Technology Hall of Fame inductee, the um, ventricular assist device, this miniaturized heart pump that will serve as kind of a bridge until you can find a new heart transplant. And it was this beautiful device that was able to keep children alive. It was the first child-sized heart pump. Um, and it was based on the fluid flow dynamics and some of the computers, the supercomputer work at, at NASA that we used to develop the controlled fuel going into the space shuttle main engine. And it became this child's heart pump. So yeah, you do not need to build a spaceship first before you build a heart pump. And if you do, you, you've gone about it such a strange way (laughs) (laughs) you probably did it wrong you went the hard way you don't need that however the second half of that answer is this is a nice byproduct of having done that work anyway so the space research is for in the space technology investment is to advance humankind and our understanding of the universe and our place in it that's cool and it's kind of inherently human but then the other super neat part is this The secondary tertiary applications the gravy that comes out of this and that makes our lives better in tangible practical terrestrial ways
0: you talk about a camera and then you talk about a heart pump i mean those are two very very different concepts than byproducts
1: yeah so we're all over the place it's you see us in consumer goods uh, sporting equipment. You'll see it in medical applications, from telemedicine to you know advanced robotic surgeries, to the, the robots that dispense medicine in the hospitals. That's a thing now. To even the Roomba, you know the iRobot back in the iRobot folks. You know they cut their teeth at NASA building Mars rovers. They've also done tactical robots. So you see them. Uh, you see NASA technology in every airplane, blended upturned winglets at the uh, corners of airplanes. That's a NASA technology allows for, for greater fuel efficiency. Hundreds of NASA technologies in airplanes. You you see us all over the place. So we've got a couple catchphrases, like there's more space in your life than you think. Bring NASA technology down to Earth. You can pretty much imagine any aspect, any activity, and we can find a, a way that NASA has made it better.
0: Some sort of pathway back to NASA. Yeah. So I think, you know, we look at, Space now and going to space and it seems almost commonplace, but it, we forget that it's still difficult to get to space. So, what do you think? Some of the new obstacles of, say, going to other planets and going back to the moon. I mean, do you see any tertiary benefits that might be coming our way?
1: Yeah. So the first part of your question is, I, I think. You know, from what I've learned, you know, as a as a lay person coming into the space industry and getting getting to know it over the past twenty years, um, that growing up, you know, I was taught that space travel was fairly safe and routine with the you know, the idea was that the shuttle was like a big a big bus or a big truck, and it just go back and up and down and, and we kinda lost track of how many missions there were and then you'd see something like the Challenger disaster or the Columbia disaster and it's kinda stark reminder that it was, it was never safe, and it was never easy. But we've kind of got, we've inadvertently gave the public the impression that we had it all figured out. But it turns out that even to this very day, space is challenging. So what sort of advances are we expecting to come out of our, our investments in space exploration now? Some are more predictable, like power storage and generation, uh, which could have application in, you know, here on Earth, you know, better batteries. Solar panels, that type of thing. Cleaning water, um, keeping crews safe in, in remote areas has ap- obvious applications. Uh, we used to say, you know, when we talked about telemedicine, you know, in remote regions, but I think most of us have had an online telemedicine doctor's appointment this year. Yes. <laughs> you know, we haven't quite, haven't quite <laughs> figured out how to go to the dentist remotely. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> um, but, so there's a lot of things we can predict, you know, lighter weight, newer materials. Stronger materials. So these types of things that we know to expect, I'm kind of most interested in the stuff that we don't know we're going to come into come across. Like the kind of just as the fun part of exploration is the unknown. I think the the fun part of the fun part of some of this technology development will be figuring out like what kind of new technology will we discover that we need and then have to create, and then what's what sort of strange unexpected cell phone camera or a heart pump might we get out of it so it's, it's it's the part we don't know that i'm most excited about
0: me too i think that's where the creativity comes in very exciting to think about
1: i'm the worst person to visit the uh the labs i'm walking through and people are, are telling me what they're working on and i got, uh, went to our skunkworks lab at kennedy space center which is this kind of high-tech lean operation that just works and works uh, the, the thinking is outside of the big bureaucracy of a federal agency, uh, that they can just do quick, fast tech development work. They're working on this low voltage device for scattering the dust off of solar panels for Mars rovers, which is so cool. It's one of the challenges to get up on Mars and you get these solar panels and uh, wind picks up some dust and uh, knocks it onto your solar panel and you can't recharge. And then, well, you don't have any energy. Yeah. Uh, the Mission crash, over. Right? This is a bummer. So they're describing this, this technique that doesn't need a lot of power. That would vibrate at such a low frequency that it wouldn't allow dust to settle on it. So cool. And it's for Mars, which is also so cool. But again, I said I'm the worst guy to, to visit. Man. What else is it to? Where else can you use it? It's for Mars. Could you use it on a car? Why would you want to? who is this guy right <laughs> what do you put on a, what do you put on a skyscraper? and then you wouldn't have to clean the window? You can keep the window clean all the time. how did he get in here? <laughs> <laughs> this guy's lost he fell off the, uh the tour um but I'm always interested in like he wow, so what else what else? what else can I do and that's part of the fun of this work and you know, quite, quite honestly you know that one somewhat of a joke, but the inventors you know they they know where else it could be used. They've, they've been looking into the whatever problem that it is that they're trying to solve, and they've, they've looked at different industries. They've looked at different applications. They know the field, and they'll come to us and say, I developed this thing. By the way, it could be useful here. And then, and then they're usually right.
0: And then you help them transfer it.
1: That's the plan.
0: So then how do people actually find technology that's available to to transfer to some other purpose here on Earth?
1: Well, we have a website. Um, Super simple. Technology, I know, right? Uh, we didn't always, and we're actually, not to brag, not to brag, but we are the only federal agency with all of its technology available on a website. Ooh. So to, this, to this day, people looking at, how did you do it? And it, it turns out it wasn't easy. <laughs> but every... <laughs> technology that we have, hardware or software, is available, uh, technology.nasa.gov. And you can find our patent portfolio. And within our patent portfolio, there will be it's all searchable, beautiful website, searchable by keyword. There's also entry points like materials and coatings, robotics, automation, optics, instruments, sensors, and such. So you, you can get a little head start if you're interested in a specific category. But you can search through our entire portfolio. You pull up a technology and there'll be a picture. There'll be some plain language description of what we were working on, what we came up with and what it does. There will be a, a bulleted list of benefits of this technology over the state of the art. And then what we think a list of, of potential applications for it could be. And then kind of like a newspaper article where you get more detail as you read down, as you read down in the page, it gets a little more detail, a little bit more in depth. And then there'll be a full link to the patent. So you can see drawings and, and all the information about you know, how the, the enabling description of how thing works. So then, if you're interested in talking to us about it, there's a number that you can call specific to that technology, or there's a link, you can click on it, and you'll get somebody, you know, within a day or two, somebody will get back to you to answer your question. That's the hardware side. On the software side, the federal government is funny in that we don't hold copyright, so we don't copyright our software. And generally speaking, you don't patent software. So since it's not an intellectual it doesn't have the standard intellectual property protections on it, what we do is we just give it away rather than license it. So we have a free software catalog, a thousand plus codes, and you click on it and you can't want this thing and then you can download it. And there's a thousand codes on there. And this isn't, you know, the Apollo guidance landing software. This is modern, everyday software that our engineers and software developers came up with within the past you know, three to five years. This is modern, real stuff. And it's CFD codes, it's image analysis codes, it's, um, there's a time card software in there <laughs> that we came yeah. up with. <laughs> there's risk management software, there's Microsoft project plugins, real stuff that we needed that we didn't see uh, in the marketplace, so we made a copy and you, you can have it if you'd like. So software.nasa.gov is the subset, but technology.nasa.gov get you to all those sites. And then also within technology.nasa.gov is our spinoff catalog, which is, you know, I mentioned a couple of examples of NASA technology that's in your everyday life, but through spinoff, you can search, keyword search will pop around the website. And you can find a bunch of cool content, uh, thousands of stories of of these types of technology examples. And we also have kind of a neat interactive called NASA City, where it's just kind of, um, 3D graphics that you can zoom in and go around an airport, a hospital, a sporting complex, and a home and find, you know, areas that you'd see in your in your city, you, can, you could find which technologies are enhanced by NASA technology. So it's kind of a neat feature.
0: I have thoroughly enjoyed that one myself. I do think it is fascinating, you know, just hovering over all the pieces and realizing, oh, I had no idea that that started as a space technology. Well, look at that. Here's this other thing, and it's exciting.
1: Yeah, it's all over the place. And, it, you know, these are also, this is the, 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 the free market, and, you know, companies come and go. So some of the companies we worked with in the, in the way back, international internet has been, been around for 60 years. Some of them are outdated. Uh, some technology that we invested in way back when is, you know, not anywhere near as, as cool and high-tech as what we've got now. In some instances, we made lasting impacts, like with the cell phone camera, or we helped redesign the modern semi-truck. So when you see that that rounded nose of a big semi flying down the road, you picture back to the 1970s. The semi-trucks had that flat face, like a shoebox going on the road or a sheet of plywood. Um, Mm -hmm. We worked with the Department of Transportation, a bunch of truck companies, to help them soften that leading edge in order to save fuel back in the 70s during the um, energy crisis. So that's a lasting impact that's, that's changed and has been around for decades now that's kind of ubiquitous and we look at it and yeah, of course they look like that. But there's a bunch of stuff that we did way back when that isn't around anymore. Like we made a um, robotic mother pig to help nursing piglets. Um <laughs> it was a temperature controlled device that like vibrated or something at the specific frequency of like a, a mother pigs body would and like had a heartbeat in it. And that was weird. You know, it's not around anymore. <laughs> but it was really great. In uh, 1976, that was the coolest thing you could have seen. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so so we, we've got thousands of these examples. Some, some of my favorites, so NASA's been coming up with weird stuff forever. One of my favorite patents from NASA goes back to the 1960s and it's uh, Jet Shoes. And it's just what it sounds like. <laughs> you know, what shoes.
0: every kid dreams of either a you jet steer, or jet shoes
1: you steer them with your toes mm-hmm. but yeah that's a that's a legit that's a patent from the 60s um so we've we've come up with a bunch of cool stuff to come up with some weird stuff and we've advanced the, the state of the art we've made we've made your life better and we've made some weird stuff too and it's all there on those websites
0: to me tech transfers just it's fascinating like you said it's the stories and It's the combination of the science and the stories for me that make it the most exciting.
1: The other part that I like about it a lot is I'm a tinkerer. I like fixing stuff. Restored a bunch of sailboats. I'm always working on my house and got a little shop in the back where I'm always building stuff. And I, I, I like to stay busy and figure out how things work. And in the 1958 Space Act that created NASA, the Congress wrote in this, kind of language that said, um, make sure that the results of your work get distributed to the public. So NASA Tech Transfer has been around since 1958. I've been with it for almost 20 years. but I took over management of the program about 10 years ago. And to inherit a 50-year-old bureaucracy like this you can just imagine all of the policy and red tape and processes involved in like IP management, tech transfer that has built up over 50 years. Um, the past decade, I've been having so much fun just kind of taking it apart and cleaning it and putting it back together. <laughs> like we had, we had so many different ways of doing things that we did them just because we'd always done them that way. So I've been having fun trying to figure out how to make the program more efficient and some basic stuff like building that website I mentioned or uh, getting rid of serial processes in favor of parallel, like where you have, you need, you need to get 10 signatures. So, do you go to 10 people one at a time or do you go to all 10 of them at once? 10 of them at once makes of sense. So, all of these little tweaks and all these little efficiencies we're able to make to the program and to how we do business have result- resulted in, over the past decade, a uh, quintupling. Of the amount of commercialization we've typically seen from nasa our patent licensing is through the roof you know we're we used to average about 20 25 patents licensed per year now we're hitting 150 175 easily and our software we used to release about six seven hundred pieces per year and now we're like three four five thousand six thousand some years all just by embracing modern technology and figuring out ways to, to reach people better it used to be 20, 30 years ago, you would mail postcards to people if you wanted them to be interested in something, or, or mm-hmm. make a magazine and you show up in person. But embracing the ability to reach so many people to tell them about our offerings has is, is really advanced the amount of tech transfer we've been able to get done. So that's been fun.
0: Brilliant. I, I do think it's an exciting thing, and hopefully, you'll just keep building it up and keep quadrupling.
1: Quintupling.
0: Quint. Oh, Quint, excuse me. Yeah. Quint. let's get that right, Kara. Sheesh.
1: The fancy one. All right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been fun. It's, it's a strange place I found myself, but I really like it.
0: Well, thank you, Dan, for showing us how NASA technology has left the agency and is all around us now. You can subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on Podbean, Apple Podcast. Google Podcast and Spotify. Remember to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and of course, our website, spacefoundation.org, where you can also learn about the various ways you can support Space Foundation. On all of these outlets and more, it's Space Foundation's mission to be a gateway to education, information, and collaboration for space exploration and space-inspired industries that drive the global space ecosystem. At Space Foundation, we will always have space for you. Thanks for listening.